guess yeah. we could just start talking and then it'll lead into this. Right, this yeah. is a natural intro. It's like, it's already happened. Podcast verite. And you're listening to me, I'm Paul, with Nathan, as always. Yep, that's true. We're back, actually, season two. Season Welcome. two. I think we Although were back. Season two already started. You didn't <laughs> even know it, though. So, hey. It started six months ago. I just haven't edited it yet at this point. So, yeah. <laughs> Apologies to Ed. And anyway. <laughs> For Ed. Anyways, who's our guest today, Nathan? Come I'm on. Mr. Alec Holoka, aka Infinite Ammo Guy. You got my name right. Yeah. There you go. Do people pronounce that wrong? Oh, they usually say Holowaka. Oh. Holowaka? There's yeah. no extra A or O in there? No. I don't oh. get it. But, you and know, you say I it all the time on the I do, I do, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to train people to to say it right. On my own. That's the only reason I have my own podcast, it's just to, you know. That's um, probably the most important reason to have one, honestly. <laughs> I actually found out that I'm saying it wrong. Uh, so I was interviewing <laughs> a guy who's Polish, and he's like, no, it's supposed to be Holovka. Oh, to be yeah. Be. Yeah. So, there you go. It's <laughs> oh, a danger. Man having a podcast as well as you find out you're doing it wrong even you got called out Ah. (laughs) yeah that ever come up as as part of your family like meeting no it's never no i was the first to figure that out okay so that's kind (laughs) of cool but nobody changed it like nobody started doing anything differently (laughs) yeah nathan how do you pronounce your last name it's just roar for sure yeah i mean it's not roar I, I don't know how you pronounce a four-letter, like, one-syllable thing like that differently, but I think there was a Vaughn, like, hundreds of years ago. At least I like, hope there was, but I don't know. Vaughn Roar, you know? Vaughn uh, Roar. Yeah. That sounds pretty like, badass. <laughs> that is pretty awesome. Nathan Vaughn Roar. <laughs> yeah. I might have to just tack it in there at some point. If I ever make something, put it in there. Other than, you know, not that podcast. I was going to say, like... Oh, you don't even include the podcast. That's I know. <laughs> Like thanks, <laughs> you know, like a. <laughs> oh, well, now that that's out of the way, thanks, Nathan. All right. Okay. Uh, How you doing, Alec? I'm doing good. It's uh, hot here today in Vancouver. <laughs> okay. There seems to be a series of heat waves happening in various places around the world. Yeah, and people are like, oh. uh, "There's a heat wave in Vancouver," and that that doesn't really mean that much. Like, everyone's like, this summer is amazing. And it's like, yeah, it's like 27 Celsius. Like, it's nice. It's mm. hot because we don't have air conditioning. Yeah. But it's not that hot. Like, it's not insane. So, no. yeah. Like, today was pretty insane. Like, just to briefly talk about the weather. <laughs> Most exciting topic. <laughs> yeah. Especially considering how this probably won't be, like, current to the times. This isn't <laughs> right. sweet, right? People so. will be hearing this, like, a month later. <laughs> <laughs> But okay, there were heat waves. It was hot, so you could probably guess when that when that was. So you guys are in Calgary, is that right? Calgary, yeah. Alberta. Nice. That's, yeah. That place that got flooded. That was yeah. Like one it's big been crazy interview. weather and everything. Mm-hmm. Nathan actually cleaned up the flood. Yeah, so, it was single-handedly. Wow. I, I, no, but yes. <laughs> yeah. He was part of a crew. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Nice job for the summer i guess but yeah doing your part for your country for my country yeah exactly for the <laughs> motherland of calgary yeah ensuring we could have that stampede thing but, yeah, yeah which went off without a hitch i guess i 
Yeah, I guess so. I, I mean, there was like less recital time for some of the stage performers and all that, whatever, but it worked out, I guess. Mm. Lower attendance than last year, but it was the 100th anniversary last year, so that doesn't happen all the time. And mosquitoes everywhere. Oh, God. Ugh. Yeah. can only imagine. It's scary. They're so bad. But anyways, you're in Vancouver now. Yes. You were, well, when I started talking to you on Twitter, you were in Winnipeg, I believe. Yeah, I grew up in Winnipeg, and I kind of helped start an indie game scene there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason for that was just that, like, I was lonely. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I knew a few people who made indie games, but I wanted to try and find more. Sure. Um, and I wanted to try and create, like, a scene, because I would just be working in my apartment, and it just sucks. Like, it's lonely and boring to work on your own, at least for me. Like, Sure. I can do it for a bit, and it's fun. You could go write some music on your own or code, whatever. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you want to show your work to somebody, and you could do that online. You could do it with your friends you know, in the city and stuff, but if they're not into game development, then you're going to get feedback that's pretty generic, like, oh, good job, you made a thing. Or like, I don't care, you know, or something. And it's like, that doesn't help, you know, like... um. And yeah, it's it's different sharing stuff online, I think, than sort of actually being like you can imagine going to work in an office, like for a game development company, and you'd have your peers and you'd be excited to go to work, or you'd be, you know, worried about going to work, but there'd be some element of going to work. You'd have to get up and go somewhere and do something. So in Winnipeg I was trying to like just go work at cafes to motivate yeah. myself and to be like, Oh, there's other people around. I kind of pretend like I'm working in an office or something, but Sure. Um, and then we'd have game jams and we'd fly people in. So lots of friends from around North America, uh, who are game developers and that would be really cool and motivating and stuff. And it would, uh, we'd have people crashing at my apartment, like, you know, like 10 or 12 people. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> this giant sleepover for those things. And that was like, Oh, this is really cool. And like so many awesome people to talk to and it's so exciting and inspiring. And then they just all leave and be like, mm-hmm. yeah, so everything's just boring Winnipeg stuff, you know? And, like the weeks immediately following that is just kind of it's kind of hard because it was like yeah. yeah it's like oh there'd be sort of an afterglow period you know oh yeah it was great and then you're like yeah no, there's nothing to you know there's nobody to go talk to about this stuff no, back to real so, life sort of thing yeah uh, yeah yeah Winnipeg was always kind of like that kind of felt like you know the Clark Kent Superman kind of thing where just like a no name loser guy most of the time and then when I'd go travel to GDC I'd feel like people come and be like, oh, I love your game. And like, oh, people know that I do stuff <laughs> and they like it. Okay, that's cool. You know, and then you go back home and it's like just, you know, oh, whatever. Everyone ride at the daily Yeah, it's kind of like, um, I guess there are like really cool people in Winnipeg and there's a cool organization called New Media Manitoba that would often help us organize things and they champion all the things that we're doing and they're really cool and they get it. But there's lots of people in Winnipeg who just don't get it, like, because it's more of a sort of old-fashioned-y kind of thing going on, where people just don't understand games. Like, I did this uh, thing at New Media Manitoba, it was like a career day thing, and uh-huh. I would just, I was the indie game guy, like, which the is a weird one. thing. The one, yeah, the one guy, like, nice. there, like, hey, you can make your own games, and it was kind of 50-50, like, parents would just be creeped out. Like, they'd come up with their kid, and they'd be like, what, what, this is this guy? And he just sits at home and makes games. This is horrifying. You know, and then be, the kids would be into it most of the time, right? Yeah. The, and, and 
sometimes the parents would get it and that was cool. They'd be like, Oh yeah, you're, you're making, you're being creative and you're doing stuff. And they could kind of see like, Oh, my kid could be creative and do stuff even if they don't go into this as a career. But other people are just like, no, you need to like get this like traditional career and da, 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 you know, so there's a lot of that kind of thing. Whereas in Vancouver it's totally different. Like there's a culture here of going to work at game studios. So there's like tons of schools, uh, built just to prepare you to learn how to make games and all that stuff. So it's a totally different vibe. Like there's a lot less of that. Or I haven't run into any of that. Like, what you make games? Like, what? So everyone's like, "Oh no, that's cool." Huh? Like, so, how how long were you kind of trying to pioneer a scene in Winnipeg before you uh, decided to move to a place that was more fostering? I guess. Like, yeah, it's it's weird. Um, I guess I originally left Winnipeg when I was 19. I lived in BC for like three years. That was for a girl, not for games. It was kind of for games, too, because at that time I hadn't made Aquaria yet, and I was just sort of like, maybe I'll work for a game studio or something. And I was almost about to apply to, like, Relic or Radical or one of those mm-hmm. art-named mm-hmm. Vancouver companies. Sure. <laughs> and then um, Aquaria started to take off. Like, the, not the sales, but just the development of it started to take off. And I was like, well, I guess I'll do that. Um, so it was kind of like that close to, like, uh, doing sort of a generic job thing. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, I had just been working for different random startups, like little, like, oh, like in Winnipeg, there's one called Complex Games that, like, I quit university after my first year to go work for them. And it's just a bunch of dudes <laughs> trying to start a game studio and really know what we're doing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I learned a lot, and they're actually still around. They're like the one game company in Winnipeg that's kind of legit like they hire 30 people and they actually make games and they make money whereas oh, okay. there are a lot of studios in Winnipeg that are sort of just studios in name and they take government funding and they don't really produce anything it's kind of gross like there's like government at all like it's not even they produce stuff. like stuff but it's not like a finished product it seems like it seems like a lot of them just don't they haven't made a game before like a lot of them they're just like I want to be in games because money and then they get funding. Mm-hmm. Like, there's one, uh, there's one studio there called Zenfry or something like that, or Zenfree. Mm-hmm. And there's a dude, I think he made short films or something, and then he pitched this augmented reality game to uh, the CMF fund, which is a national fund, and I think he got over a million dollars? Holy crap. What? And it's, like, money you have to pay back, mm-hmm. like, at some okay. point, if, but only if, like, your game actually succeeds. Okay. But, like, this guy's never made a game before. Like, to me, that kind of, like, blows my mind. Like, it's cool in a way because, I I mean, he's hiring other people. He's yeah. keeping other people employed. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it's like, is the game actually going to work out? Like, is it going to... Because really what you want when you've got a fund like that is you want to see companies making their own money eventually, right? Like, oh, they're bringing in money. They don't need the funding anymore. The funding got them kickstarted or something. But now they can just... So the other weird thing in Winnipeg is there's a film industry that seems to be sort of built around government funds, and it seems like they wouldn't be profitable without them. Mm-hmm. And okay. the funds have restrictions, like, on what kind of content you can have. So there needs to be, like, a certain amount of Canadian content in it. So there's, like, shows based around weird Canadian things that, like, <laughs> people are not really going to be into, but they survive because there's funding for it. And it's, like, this weird... Like there to might me that not really weird. be an audience for it, but it meets these weird yeah. list of requirements, so it's yeah. allowed to continue. Like yeah, is this National like, Film Board stuff or who is Uh no, I don't think it's National Film Board. I don't okay. know 
I don't know actually what the fund is, but huh. National Film Board stuff seems pretty badass to me. I don't know. <laughs> At yeah, least the no, old Stuart McLean. No, not Stuart McLean. I forgot Norman that guy. Norman McLaren. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Too many no, Scottish animations <laughs> are pretty. Yeah, Norman McLaren is like a Canadian hero, but yeah. So I mean, like obviously, government funding can lead to really cool projects and stuff, and but it's just weird, sort of seeing from the inside, like these teams that are sort of just just there to get funding, and they don't even realize it. Like they don't even see like that their projects are kind of like not. They don't seem likely to work out to me anyway. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I guess we'll see what happens. But Vancouver seems different. It seems like there's a lot more, like, or at least there used to be a lot more larger mainstream studios. Um, and a bunch of them are, like, closing down recently. I think, like, yeah, three or four to... in the last year shut down. Hmm. Like, Rockstar Vancouver moved to Toronto. Or... Yeah, Rockstar moved. Uh, Radical got closed after Prototype by... 2. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a couple other ones, too, but. Activision. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It sucks because there's all these like sort of neat. They were sort of like independent-ish because they were just like they started up in Vancouver and they hire whoever and it's oh they're doing their own thing and then like oh they just sell to like a larger company and then that large company eventually shuts them down. Mm. It's kind of like oh it's, <laughs> it's too bad. But then all the indies are doing good here mm-hmm. and the indie scene is huge. Like there's a group called Full Indie. Um, it's a meetup group that meets once a month and like. I think it's capped at 150 people. Oh, okay. <laughs> Holy so there's like more than enough demand for something like that. Yeah, and it's it like not sells out. It like it gets fully booked within like half hour usually. Oh, okay. They put up an event and they're like, oh, 150 people have said they're going to go. And like yeah, we've been kind of trying to take the temperature here in Calgary, but the group has like sure. 10 people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's pretty there's good. Some fun, there's <laughs> some fun nights though, but yeah, mm-hmm. maybe we need to organize more stuff or something like that i don't know i've been kind well, of like cow jam it's coming is, oh, it? is it actually happening i i don't know but <laughs> okay. there is now a google page for it so you can go look okay. at that now but there's nothing on that's it, been in the plans forever eh okay. cow jam oh yeah we're hearing about it like a few years ago <laughs> yeah oh okay I've, I've definitely heard about it periodically over the past maybe yeah vieco is really into it okay yeah he hmm. is super into it. He's going to make it happen somehow. Somehow. So good on him because yeah, I don't know hopefully. how the hell it's going to happen. But <laughs> Yeah, it would be cool to see it. It would like, be. There, off, there's but... not a huge demand in Calgary, I don't think. Is there? Or, like, well, I mean, the game jam of... I was at had a decent turnout. Like That was that was not bad. Mm-hmm. The, the global game jam. So I guess it's the biggest right. one. But... You kind of find people that you didn't realize like were even there. Like when we did the first Tig Jam Winnipeg, which eventually became Peg Jam or whatever. Um, that's when I first met Noel Barry. And he's this dude from Winnipeg. He's like, I think he was 17 or 18 at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, our friend Chevy Ray came to Winnipeg for that jam. And Chevy and Noel met there. And it was kind of like this really cool thing where they, Chevy just kind of like zeroed in on Noel because he could tell that Noel was trying to do all this really cool stuff. And just start feeding him all this information. Like Chevy's a, or he was teaching at VFS for a while, teaching game design. Mm-hmm. And he just like, he just feeds information to people like super fast and really excitedly and stuff. So 
but like Noel just found out about that through the TIG source forums. I'd never met him in person or knew that he existed in Winnipeg before. So I was like, mm. that was really cool. Cause like, Oh, I'm in this jam. I don't know who's going to come out. So I'll like fly some people in and stuff. But then it's like, Oh, there's like a couple people locally who are like amazing. Like, and that's worth finding. Even if like a lot of people who came were local and not amazing, <laughs> okay, <laughs> they sure. still had a really good time and stuff, you know? Um, and they, they're still part of the community and it's cool, but they're not like the kind of people who are like full-time indie. They're just like, Oh, I'll just dabble in this a bit, you know, mm-hmm. I'll come and you know, hack on some stuff and, and that's cool. But and like, it's cool to find people like Noel who are like full-time indie. So now Noel's actually living with us here in Indie house, Vancouver, um, with Chevy and Matt Thorson. And so that's cool. So we How both left those are there now. Indie houses. There's one, I think the first one I heard about, or maybe it was the second one, is in Arizona. And that's okay. the one with Steve Swank, Kyle Pulver, Aaron Robinson, Corey Nolan. So, okay. like, two couples. Uh, I did a podcast with them. They have their own podcast, too. I think their site's IndieGameHouse.com. Yep. Okay. And they do a bunch of live streams and stuff now, or not I don't yet? know if they do live streams, but maybe okay. they should if they don't. Like, we um, talked to Kyle some I know Kyle ago. was really into the idea of doing live streams, but he didn't know if anyone else in the house wanted to. Yeah. No. They seem a little bit, uh, they seem less close than we are. <laughs> That's the impression I get. Like Oh, we, at, at Vancouver? Like, uh, yeah, like, I think at Vancouver we, we hang out and talk a lot more. Mm. Talk about everything. Yeah, because the way they made it sound is that it's kind of like, when Kyle gets home, another guy goes to work sort of thing. Like, they never see each other. Yeah, so. which is totally, like, we're pretty different. We go and do things together. Like, well, <laughs> it's a big group. Mm-hmm. Feels like kind of like a weird family or something. Like, last night we went to our friend Ryan's place for a barbecue and it just all went. And uh, Chevy's partner, Hannah, is also living with us. And her dad has been visiting. He's from Australia. His dad's just staying over for like two weeks. He's like a cool guy, <laughs> hanging out with everyone, and then we just went to this barbecue all together. And I don't know, we do, do stuff like that. So I think it's a little different vibe than the, the Arizona one. Yeah. Um, and then there's the Cambridge Indie House over in the UK with Sophie Holden, um, Terry Cavanaugh, uh, Incrapare. I forget what his real name is. That dude. And, <laughs> Maybe one other guy. Okay. But yeah, they, they also seem a little bit like they don't talk as much. That's the impression I get. And they're also splitting up in Aww. the fall. They're going their separate ways, which kind of made me sad. Because I think they were one of the first to like do that. Hmm. That's kind of too bad. Yeah, it kind of makes me wonder like how long these things last. Like how long has your your group there? Oh, uh, we've just started. Like we, um, I moved here. We pretty much all moved in around October, um, or in okay. the fall kind of. And Noel came like more like January, March ish, I think. Nine months. So it's still kind of new. Yeah. Okay. So far, it's been great. So far, so good. Yeah, so far it's been amazing. Maybe so, we'll have to do a follow-up in another six months and see. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Biannual so, checkups on the situation. Biannual, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, well, it's kind of weird for me because like, I, don't, I don't really want to see it stop. <laughs> sure. So it makes me wonder, like, oh, what's going to happen if people want to, like, at some point they're like, oh, I just want to go move over here now. It's kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> I want to leave you sort of thing. Yeah. 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 I don't know if that's going to happen eventually or not. Like how far would it go? 
would it go to the point where we're like 60 and we're still living together <laughs> in like a senior's home or something? It'd be kind of cute in a way, but <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, cause actually originally it was supposed to just be, um, me, Chevy, Noel and Matt. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then somewhere around November, I think Hannah's lease was up and she was looking for somewhere to live and it was like, Oh, sh- she was asking us. If it was cool. If she moved in here. And I remember thinking like, I was the only one who was like worried about it. Yeah, it's like, no, like, you're gonna split up the group. Yeah, <laughs> don't get Yoko in here. What are you doing? <laughs> I was kind of just like thinking, like, oh, if you have like a couple, yeah, and they're ha- going, they're doing their relationship stuff, and then like everyone else is there. Like, is that gonna f- work? Like, are they gonna get into arguments and stuff? And like, and so far, no. Like, not that I've seen. Like everyone just gets along and everyone's super open about everything. So I think that's why it works. Like I think if people were more secretive, we'd have a problem, but really if someone's feeling shitty, they're just going to talk about why they're feeling shitty. Okay. (laughs) They're like, I had like a crappy day doing this and then everyone's hang out and talk about it and do something. And then it sort of doesn't matter anymore. Almost like an AA meeting. Yeah. It's just sort of, I don't know. Everybody just gets together, talks about stuff. stuff. Yeah. It's not really like, it's not like, necessarily everyone but it definitely different combinations of people are just sort of like someone will go to the kitchen to make food and somebody else is there you have a conversation and then sometimes it snowballs into like everyone doing something sometimes it doesn't but the cool okay. thing is there's like enough like different connections that like there's always somebody around to talk to if you need to talk to somebody mm-hmm. whereas like when i've lived with girlfriends and stuff it's just been like one-on-one conversations and if somebody's you know, fed up or tired, you're screwed. Like you can't, you can't talk about stuff. There needs to be like a period of just waiting for, you know, and this is not the case here. Cause like, Oh, like uh, maybe like Chevy's exhausted, but like somebody else will be around. I can talk to, or, you know, oh, whatever. Okay. So, so whatever, like your mind is racing, you have someone you can. Yeah. If it's just that. like, if I'm like, oh, I'm having a crappy day, like I can't get anything done. I'll just, go leave my room <laughs> and usually there's somebody around doing something i can just hang out and then kind of just forget about what i was stressed about and come back to it when i'm feeling better about it mm. whereas if you're like living alone or with a partner i think it's harder to sort of do that um and so i, I think also i think like when you're just stuck in like a one-on-one situation it's a lot more brittle like the support that you get from somebody and um uh, it's weird calling it support because I don't think anyone here thinks of it as, as like support. It's just like hanging out. Mm-hmm. But when there's, when there's sort of enough people who understand you who are around to talk about stuff, it feels like this really cool, like support network sort of thing of just, yeah. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so it's hard for me to imagine sort of like, Oh, like, um, Am I going to move out sometime, live with my girlfriend? I'm like, I kind of don't want to. <laughs> I'd rather the, live with a bunch of people who all work together really well. Sure. You know, including my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I tried that for a bit and it worked pretty well. So, like, problem is the girl I'm seeing lives in another country. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so yeah. I get to see her very much. But, but yeah, I think that's kind of where I'm at right now. So it's very, I think it's different from, what people normally do now i'm just practically thinking about like looking around my place here um 
like I just moved in with my girlfriend and there's just oh, yeah. like tons of piles of stuff everywhere. Like I'm just like, did did you have to get rid of a bunch of stuff just practically during the move or no um, people stuff piling up in the same space or is there more than enough <clears throat> shelves and whatnot? Just practically speaking. We have a lot of room here, which is cool. Like we managed to find we got lucky finding a place, I think. Um like Noel and I had been visiting Vancouver in August a year ago, uh, just to sort of try this out. <laughs> to mm-hmm. see, like, before we moved in with anyone, like, oh, can we actually do this? Like, we were pretty good friends with Chevy and Matt, but, like, I was like, I need to actually try living with these guys before I move across the country to, like, you know, I don't want to do it if it's everyone's going to be screaming all day or it's, things are going to be crazy or whatever. Okay. So like we were, kinda. yeah, kind of like a trial run prototype indie house thing. Um, and Chevy and Matt were just living in downtown Vancouver in an apartment, so... The four of us were living in this two-bedroom apartment. There was, like, no room. <laughs> yeah. But it actually worked out really well. Like, we all got along perfectly fine, even though it was really cramped. Mm-hmm. And Hannah was coming over a lot, too, which is kind of funny. So it was, like, the five of us were doing it in this really cramped space. Um, and it, and we were getting along totally fine. So it was like, yeah, if we get, like, a house with five bedrooms, then we should be good because then okay. there's just now there's like enough space. That, okay. If I want to go chill in my room, I can ignore everyone, you know, for a while and then come out when I'm ready to do that. But in terms there of a lot like, of like common areas in the house still, or like, yeah, like, there's like a the- kitchen living room area and then there's a den and that's where the TV is. And there's also like Matt has his drum kit and I have like my little MIDI keyboard thing. So we jam sometimes down there. Okay. Matt's bedroom is really big, so sometimes we just go hang out there. <laughs> and yeah, so then we have like a porch in the back, and like we've got lots of space, so mm. we have people just, over a lot too. Is it pretty, like, it just sounds kind of day to day, not like structured really? No, not at all. <laughs> oh, Thursday nights is like. No, there's no, there's no structure. Um, and that kind of, that's, that's ideal, that's the, like, when uh, they come when they're not. You know, it's it's interesting. It's just sort of like emergent right now. Like we're not really trying to like make it be anything specific, which is kind of good. I think like we're all kind of open to like we're all pretty accepting people, which is what makes it work. Mm-hmm. I've never had someone come to me and be like, "Why are you doing that? That's stupid. You shouldn't do this." Like commenting on my my life choices well, or like, whatever. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine it's going to be anything like what I've heard of big, de- like you're not hitting your milestones or any kind of weird. Well, there is, there's a bit of that actually. Um, oh. There's a bit of, but it's not like pressure from other people. It's like, in, it's your own stuff. Like Matt's had a lot of deadlines with Towerfall. Okay. Uh, and we we're around for those deadlines and we're kind of like there to talk to him about it and stuff. And so that, I think that helps like specifically to like get it ready for launch on the Ouya or yeah like okay. pretty much the, the entire development of Towerfall happened here so okay. like I would be talking to him about it almost every day he'd be like oh I'm working on that like what are you working on oh, I'm doing this doing that I kind of go down and, like check on him and stuff he'd come down and check on me and check on each other to see what you know okay. how how the work is going and stuff like that and talk about it and get excited about it and Sometimes we just like get high and go for big walks and just nice. you know yeah. talk about the because we live right next to um, this dike uh, right next to the ocean. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I always I always giggle when I say that because you know, I was gonna say no. The word get... came up in conversation earlier today. Yeah. just in relation to the flood that <laughs> happened, and it was just like 
so right. mature. Good old fashioned, but that's a word. That's a <laughs> it's a word. It's a real word. I'm so glad I wasn't the only one. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I just said that for everyone listening who is. Uh... Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, we live next to this dyke. She's really awesome. She has a lot of weed all the time. She's really cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, we live next to this dyke. <laughs> and uh it's right next it's right on the ocean and kind of this like marshland that goes out to the ocean. It's it's really beautiful. So you can just go walk there. It's like mm-hmm. five minutes from here. And and that's usually where we have these long conversations about life and girls and game design and stuff like that and uh, we figured out a lot of stuff like matt and i are working on this game planet punch for adults so i remember there's one night where we just got really baked and we came up with the whole system of how the planets were going to have different abilities and stuff like that <laughs> it's like sweet nice. <laughs> that kind of stuff doesn't really happen like when you're collaborating online so that's oh, okay yeah like the back and forth immediacy of personal yeah the collaboration is a lot more sort of fun in person i think i'm like I know for music, it's made a big difference, too. Mm. Like the way I write music now, I'm kind of more aware of how being around other people affects it. So I got this little portable keyboard that fits in my backpack, so now I can just go to, like, random coffee shops and, like, write music there. Nice. <laughs> and, like, to me, I'll, like, listen to whatever they're playing, you know, and, and get inspiration from it and sort of mix that in. It's just, I think it's about just having lots of different influences, but right now I'm working on like three different soundtracks or something. So it's like I need to like draw from different places or they're all going to sound the same. Yeah. Which would be really bad. So, so, but that's, yeah, that's the, I think the, the main thing about Indie House is just the feeling like everyone really loves making stuff and they love seeing other people make stuff. And so that's always super encouraging. Like it's not other places I've lived like, with my family where they were kind of like, you got to go do these chores at a certain time, blah, 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 you know, whereas like, this is more like, eh, you know, like we understand if somebody's working really hard on something and doesn't want to, you know, do something on a regular schedule. It's mm-hmm. like, Oh, they're, they're going to stay up all night cause they're working. And it's like, that's awesome. Like go for it. It's more like driving them to do that. So that's why our schedules are all weird. Like the sleep cycles are all over the place and stuff. Yeah. Um, like and nope. everyone there is full time indie, like all all four. Uh, or now so. yes we are. Chevy okay. recently um quit VFS teaching stuff, so he's going full indie. Um, okay. So he's trying to figure out what project he wants to do. I think he's found something in the last two days that he's really excited about. So like we'll see if that pans out. Um, Noel is he's I think he's nineteen now. Um. He's working on something that he started at a game jam here that he's going to do sponsorship for, I think. So, like, he kind of makes Flash games and then gets Adult Swim to sponsor them or other Newgrounds sites like that. Okay. Uh, that's what he's doing for money right now. Okay. Um, I have money from Aquaria, but I'm also... I did that Planet Punch game with Matt. Um, Matt's pretty much been making his money off of Adult Swim games until this year... And now it's going to be hopefully Towerfall. <laughs> like um, how how has the yeah launch and stuff been going? Like I've yeah, so he updates. posted um he posted his sales figures publicly. It's, okay, it was two thousand ish sales at fifteen dollars. So, and he had received an advance from Ouya for in okay. exchange for six months console exclusivity. So all right, all right. 
he's now recouped that advance and some some money on top of it. So, hmm. so it's nice. funny because like, remember he was talking about like launching on Ouya and it was kind of like this totally foreign concept at the time. Kind of like, oh, that's a crazy idea. Like it's so so crazy that it seems like a good idea. <laughs> it's just sure. like such like a out of nowhere kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but like we had no idea how it was going to do. And it's like the top selling game on Ouya. And the funny thing about that is it it's not that doesn't really mean all that much. <laughs> like, like something I I think it was one of your tweets was saying like that's three percent of the systems out there or something. Yeah, somebody was saying that it's a three percent conversion rate or something. I don't know if it's three percent of the systems. I think it's three oh, okay. percent people who downloaded it bought it or something. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um which is actually a pretty good conversion rate. Like that's pretty it's a pretty solid conversion rate, but it's still like <laughs> there's just not that many Ouya's out there and not that many people playing Ouya because yeah, like, it's got such a crappy reputation. Like even I don't think it deserves it necessarily. Like it's it's gotten a lot better. Well, like what I saw at E three was definitely interesting. Like I, I do you know how widely available it is in like commercial like retail I don't. stores? I don't. Okay. I've seen sort of varying reports. I've seen people tweet photos like, oh, there's like three Uyas in this Best Buy or whatever. And then other people being like, I asked about it and they said it was sold out, you know. Oh, okay. Um, I remember it's sold out on Amazon.com like the day it launched, but I was always kind of wondering like, well, how many did they actually ship to Amazon? Like they might have shipped like 10 units, you know, like I don't know how. Yeah. Like, I don't know how many they're actually producing or capable of producing, so. I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm really curious to see how it does. I kind of want it to succeed for some reason, but I don't know why. Like, like it's how just, open the platform is. Like, yeah, it's just sort of like the underdog, I guess. And and I liked a couple of the games on there, like Amazing Frog and the Little Crane that could. They're just these weird physics sort of games, and people are kind of experimenting with stuff. And it's like that's cool. Like, I actually played more Ouya than I did other consoles, just because like. It was fun even to play for the bad games. Mm-hmm. Like we, uh, Noel and Matt and I would just sort of like sit down at night and boot up the Ouya and just download like five random games and play them. And like some would be horrible, some would be horrible but charming. Like oh, some kid made this thing and it's like you can see what they're trying to do and it like reminds us of what we were trying to do and it's actually like inspiring in a way. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, like totally. Like that's this is like reminds us of when we got into games and what we're trying to accomplish with them and how far we've come and then like also getting excited for these kids who are just getting started and how far they're going to go. Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> so I don't know. There's, so there's that whole thing to it, which is kind of neat. Like that's sort of a new experience. It's kind of like the game maker community, but on a console, it's definitely a new thing. So, but that's not really what people were expecting when they kickstarted it. I think, <laughs> Oh, like they wanted a much more polished, like, like yeah, ready. Kind of got the impression they were imagining like something that was going to compete with mainstream consoles, you know, which is kind of ridiculous to expect. But right, right, that's how Kickstarter works. Like people just sort of imagine the idealized version that they want. Well, um, you need to generate a whole bunch of hype to get exactly yeah money incoming. So yeah, I guess it, expectations could get away from people. Like I don't know, I've. I'm definitely curious about it. I haven't, like, I don't own one firsthand, obviously, but it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely. Yeah, I feel like if I didn't have one kicking around, I probably wouldn't buy it. <laughs> oh, okay. Right? Like, I don't think, like, 
I don't think I'm into it enough to actually go out and get it. But since there's one lying around the house, like I'll check it out occasionally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's also just sort of a curious thing from a problem-solving standpoint. Like, what could you do to make it successful? What could you do to, to drive more attention to it? And then also just seeing how Towerfall influenced the launch. Like, so many people on Twitter were like, I'm going to buy an Ouya just to play Towerfall. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how, like, I wonder what difference that made like how many people that was total did it actually make a dent like a positive dent in their sales that's kind of interesting to think about so like even though it, it wasn't selling like a bazillion copies like the fact that it did that is kind of a really cool like pr story mm-hmm. <laughs> for the game it's like oh this game like sold consoles it's like that's kind of neat so. i was actually it's like I was the one game I actually want a new EF for because I keep hearing so much about it and I don't know anything about it. So yeah. it looks real cool though. It's like, a, yeah, yeah, it's a pretty amazing game. What were you saying? Sorry, it was just yeah, no, it was really easy to pick up. Like I played a little bit of it at E three when I was oh, okay. stopped by. But um no, yeah, no, it was it was pretty fun. Yeah, uh, it gets like it's pretty deep. There's like lots of little things that change the game. Like once once you realize that you can dodge, once mm-hmm. you realize that you can catch arrows while dodging, it sort of changes the whole way the game is played. And like map to map, some of the changes there. And I, I don't yeah. know. Like people are making like Smash Brothers comparisons in some ways. And it's just like All yeah, right. like there's a lot of jumping around combat. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I guess I, I wanted to kind of ask about this free the games initiative that we have people are doing now because it sounds yeah. like the way you guys like had exclusivity and all that for six right. months like so, it sounds like similar to what they're promising kind other of people. yeah getting kind of some negative mm-hmm. feedback on it and i don't know like some of the opinions i it was a giant bomb piece was kind of asking other devs about the situation but it was like they've published on xbla and such like not direct you know similarities there like i was kind of curious like had, was your experience pretty positive with dealing with the folks yeah so like matt was the one dealing with kelly kelly mm-hmm. santiago uh who was working previously at that game company on you know journey and flower and stuff like that right, so right. she is awesome like she's just an awesome person and she understands games and understands developers so mm-hmm. she's a great person to talk to um the new thing they're doing is it's like a Kickstarter matching funds thing. So yeah. you go on Kickstarter, you have a successful Kickstarter. It has to be for at least 50K, which is something that a lot of people are upset about. I think. Like that's a pretty high benchmark. It's, yeah, it's kind mm-hmm. of a strange. You have to guarantee that your game is going to be exclusive for six months. And then, so if you complete that Kickstarter successfully, you get your 50K from Kickstarter minus all the cuts that they take, right? And then you get 25% of 50k from Ouya. You get the other mm-hmm. 75 when your game comes out. Um, well, it, it was like 50 when the game comes out, and then the extra 25 when the exclusivity window closes, wasn't it? Um, At least that's that's what. Okay, I thought you thought you got. Okay, I don't know. I don't know. That's what the giant bomb piece summarized. Okay. But they must, so they I guess there. the thing, like the thing is, you can still go talk to Kelly. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, and you can still get a deal kind of like Towerfall and just okay. ignore the whole Kickstarter thing. They're just not making a big public splash about that because I don't think there's like a reason to. Because the, the I think the reason they're making a public splash about the one million dollars is it's like a PR thing, right? It's like 
Yeah. Everyone come and check this out. It's exciting. And da, da, da. But this is more like normal kind of like, oh, if you talk to them and you have a game and you want to make a deal, then you can make a deal and get some advanced money on it, etc. Hmm. Um, so that's still an option to devs. And it was kind of funny because on Twitter I was seeing people like freak out about this Kickstarter thing. And they're like, well, I was going to, you know, put my game on Ouya and I was going to talk to Kelly about it, but now I'm not even going to try because this Kickstarter thing. I'm like, why not? <laughs> like, just talk to the... Uh, like, there's never a reason not to talk to the people and just see what the options are. Like, mm. you know, even if you don't like something they're doing over here, they might be doing something good over there. Um, for me, the Kickstarter thing, like, I got really excited about it when they talked about it because I thought it was... I thought the idea of using Kickstarter as a vetting tool was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, like, you've... Like, the community vetted your game... Well, we'll like throw extra money on it like that. Oh, that sounds cool. But then when I heard about the minimum 50 K thing, I was like, ah, that's kind of weird. Cause I was imagining people like Noel, um, funding a game for maybe like 10 K and just getting an extra 10 K. It's like, that would be a huge deal for him. Like that would be like a, he could probably survive on 20 K a year, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that it's this minimum 50 K means they need larger scale projects and it's going to be hard to get that money because Ouya's audience is not very big. So how many people are going to fund a game that's going to be exclusive to Ouya for six months? Like, that seems weird to me. Right, um, yeah. Like, are there that many people who want games for Ouya exclusively that they're going to, you're going to be able to get 50k out of it? I don't know, but I may or may not have Ouya in my cart ready for checkout on Amazon Uh-oh. right now. It's available again? Okay. In yeah, stock. Hmm? Boom! Yeah, so, yeah, right here on the show. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> huh? Yeah, there you um, go. Sponsored by Ooh Yeah. <laughs> I hope they give me my ten percent. Yeah, we're talking about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll talk after the show for your ten percent of doing the show right. anyway. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to take it off a Ooh Yeah a little bit here. You were talking about yeah. the whole process with Kickstarter and how it's kind of cool that they're using it as like there's community support. So we're going to match it sort of thing. I want to go with the community support thing because a reoccurring thing we keep talking about is the steam green light. And I wanted to know your opinion on that because we've gotten mixed opinions from different people. So I was wondering what you think about it. Yeah. Um, I don't know so much about it. I think it's something I, I personally wouldn't want to do it. It just feels like, I guess the word that comes to mind is stooping. <laughs> like okay. you're stooping down to like cater to sort of the lowest uh, comments. Like I've seen a lot of comments on there that are pretty like negative, I guess, on a lot of people's campaigns. It feels like you're putting your game through the ringer kind of of this like, it's like you're walking down this alley and all these people are lined up and they're like yelling and throwing things at you and you have to get to the end of it to actually release like your game. Gauntlet you have to yeah, it's, it feels like this gauntlet you have to run. Um, I remember talking to Matt about it because he was considering it for Towerfall for a while. And he was just thinking that it would kind of like, it would kind of like make the game feel cheaper or something. Like it would change the perception of the game. That's, that's actually something Kelvin French was saying. Like whenever the green light thing is on there, like, Oh, this game was voted on by the green light community. It was like, it kind of ghettoized almost, those games. Yeah. It yeah. Them seem like, Oh, these wouldn't have made it if it wasn't for this weird 
like group of th- you know like it, it's a second class of games maybe it seems yeah like i think there's a bit of that perception out there and also for me kind of like one of the reasons that would give me pause is just that i don't trust the green light community to be great vetters of content and great content curators right. it seems like more like a mob of people for. yeah what they're yeah. looking for seems more like mob mentality than like actual like well thought out like oh this is a really you know well crafted unique thing it's like no this is like got zombies in it and it's like okay like <laughs> right like it was actually in our conversation with ed key like that game kind of got pushed through because of igf nominations and stuff like it was well regarded critically and then there was a bunch of green light people that were like i wouldn't have voted for this like they felt like weirdly cheated out of their opportunity to download to like, it to block stuff yeah yeah it's like, just sort like, of like a nasty feeling thing to me so i i personally want to avoid it i could maybe see doing it if i had like a team running the green light campaign so i was like buffered yeah. from it a bit as the personal okay like make creator it. thing you know like okay like the, these people will deal with you know or one person will deal with the actual interaction with these assholes you know like <laughs> yeah because uh, it's it's hard especially when you're still working on it like it's hard enough when your game comes out and people hate it but mm-hmm. at least at that point it's done you know um i guess you might still be patching it and stuff but um yeah i think having to do that while you're developing the game that'd be like a difficult emotional experience i think like just to stay motivated it's like no like a bunch of people are trying to actively prevent me from getting my game on this distribution platform this is not a good feeling (laughs) Mm -hmm. but um you know i guess different people approach it differently so i think it depends on the game too i think certain games are more suited to it yeah Um, where people see a screenshot and they're like that looks awesome upvote or whatever the hell they do i don't actually know much about the voting it's like thumbs up sound but yeah. is it oh, okay yeah or skip you can just opt out of voting like you're just like this probably isn't for me. i'm just gonna skip ahead so you can still like kind of like the Ouya thing you don't have to go the green light route as far as i know like i've heard from other devs that they just they still did the thing where you just go to valve directly oh, okay um, but I think in that case, list on that or something. Yeah, I don't know exactly the details. I think it's more of the political thing, Rick. You need to know somebody who knows somebody so they can meet the guy in person at some you know conference and talk to him and like give him this angle on your game and why it's unique and all that Weird. stuff. Have a lot of it press. Sounds like shopping a screenplay in old Hollywood or something. Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit like that. You gotta meet like the guy. You gotta have the connections, kind of. Um, I remember with Offspring Fling, I think that was before Steam, uh, Greenlight was a huge thing, but Kyle had to like campaign that game pretty hard, and it took a lot of time and press before he could kind of convince them to put it on. Mm-hmm. It was like, no, here's all these amazing reviews, and here's all these like developers talking about it over here, and he just had to keep sort of like yeah. working on it to get it through, and it seemed like it took a lot of time and effort. Yeah. Uh, hmm. I know in the case of Aquaria, they were, it was on our own site for a year, and then we wanted to put it on Steam, I think like six to eight months after it came out, we wanted to put it on Steam, and we were talking to them, and they are all down for it, but we had like a minor disagreement on price, like we wanted to keep it at $30, and they wanted it at 20 but instead of, and at no point were they like, oh, we can't do it at 30 you have to do it at 20 they just stopped talking to us. <laughs> Oh, oh, okay. weird. Okay. Just, like, the conversation just died, and I just didn't know what to say. I was like, "What's? I don't know what's happening." Like I like, so we just waited a while, and then eventually I got back to him. Like, 
and just said, yo, we're cool with doing it at 20. And they're like, okay, here we go. Let's do it. Wow. Okay. So they're, it's like, I think it's because they're all super busy. They don't have time to like explain shit to you. <laughs> like they don't have time to be like, no, 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 we really can't do $30. But if you want to do it at 20, we'll do it. If not, they didn't want to write that email. I think so they're just like swamped. So okay. I was like, oh, we'll just wait. They have no reason to, to care. So like, just wait until <laughs> we either agree with them or do something else. So, yeah. so that was kind of interesting for me. Mm-hmm. Just sort of, I think learning just sort of like, okay, that's how it, that works. It's different from other other people like Humble Bundle, where I know some of the people involved in that. So it's like different. The conversations are different. It's more like you can actually talk back and forth a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff with Steam to me seems a bit more black box, kind of like I don't know exactly what they're intending to do and why. And so. Yeah, Good news, weird. guys. Game Dev Tycoon has been greenlit. So now we can all pretend like we're game developers. Yay. Awesome. I kind of did that with Game Dev Story, but it's the exact same game. Only now it's on Steam and it's greenlit. Oh, sweet! Yeah, so look out. I heard they had a cool anti-piracy measure though, so that was the main thing. Wait, I didn't hear about this. What? Oh, Game Dev Story. Yeah, yeah, I think this is the game where if you pirate it, the there's like a weird thing that happens in the game where you can never succeed because partway through development, your game will get pirated. Yeah. What, what's going on? Why does all my money keep? It's because of people like you. That's that's yeah. why. It's kind of a beautiful way to do it. Yeah, <laughs> that is pretty awesome. Papers Please is greenlit too, so I that's know. good. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, I guess just I guess just coming out of the Steam sale and me just thinking about like being a pretty cheap cheapskate kind of guy in terms of game sale stuff. Like I'll wait around. Like how do you choose? Like how did you go about choosing? Like where did you want to put your games price at? Like, or do you have much say in like current stuff, like games you provide music for? Do you get um, that conversation? Or? I remember talking to Matt about Towerfall pricing, mm-hmm. and talking to Adam Saltzman about Cannonballs on iPhone pricing, and and it's very similar to Aquaria when it originally came out at thirty dollars. Uh, if, if all three of those conversations are kind of the same, it was like, um, this game is worth this price. This is what we want to price it at. People are going to be upset but we still think it's a good idea. And it, I'm pretty sure in all three cases it was the right idea. It was Aquaria was at $30 instead of being like $20. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, there had been a few... It was a bit different because indie games were a bit more rare back then, I think. And some games were still coming out for like $24.99 and stuff like that. Like this is like 07? Yeah, 07, yeah, 08. So okay. like... Um, so it wasn't that outrageous. I think now if we came out at 30 it would be like, what? Like that's... You know, because like Super Meat Boy came out like fifteen or something, and Brave right. fifteen. And I don't know if it's that stuff, but like I've I've been kind of bristling lately at like Prison Architect and Kentucky Route Zero because I'm just like, yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know. Like I haven't played it, so I'm yeah. like, I'm a problem, I guess. Yeah. Well, the the thing is though, like with Kentucky Route Zero, that's a pretty niche audience, I think. And it, so right. for me, it makes sense. Like same with Aquarius. So it's like, like adventure game stuff enough. Yeah, you you're gonna love this game because it's very you know, uniquely what you're into. If that's the case, then you're going to be willing to pay a little bit more for it. Right. Okay. Um, and you're going to treasure it. And so you want the price to be suitably high. Like it increases the way it changes the way people perceive it too. Like if, if I'm buying a, a thing that's very me, like this is just made, it feels like it's made for me. I'll pay mm-hmm. more and then I'll actually value the experience more because I invested more into it. 
in terms of uh, financial stuff. So with Aquaria, Cannibalt, and Towerfall, that was kind of the thing. I was like, this is these are all really finely crafted experiences that we made out of love for making stuff, and like they're made for a specific kind of audience. And so if that's you, you're gonna you're we know you're gonna love this, and you're gonna feel good about paying that. Um, okay. In the case of Towerfall, like it's also different because it's a four player game, right? And the amount of like replay value you get out of that is insane compared to like I was comparing it to like ticket prices for movies mm-hmm. it's like cheaper than going to for one cheaper than one person going to see like a new 3d movie right but it's something that four people can enjoy for like infinity hours <laughs> so it's like it's kind of you know and then everyone can just chip in like four or five bucks whatever right yeah like if all your friends get together and chip in five bucks you have more than enough to buy the game yeah like it seems ridiculously affordable when you look at it that way but there were still when it came out there's still a couple people on the media forums being like this is ridiculous like how dare you like fifteen dollars you're insane and i think they stopped complaining when they saw that it was like the top selling game on uia <laughs> okay because <laughs> then it kind of became it was like yeah like if matt had released a five dollars he probably would still be the the, the top selling game and just be making less money Mm-hmm. Right, like, and it's like the audience on Uya is really small, so you need to make sure you're actually making money from that and not just undervaluing your game. So, but it's a difficult thing. Like, I just, it, maybe it's like yeah. the arrival of mobile gaming and stuff has kind of made that value perception thing really. Yeah, it depends like, on the market a lot too. Like, there's this game earlier this year called Year Walk, and I think it came out at four dollars, and people were like freaking out that that was really expensive but then i was like i i thought it was great i, I don't know like that, that was totally yeah. worth the money but then there's like free to play you know candy crush or whatever i haven't even played it but people talk about it yeah um, yeah tapped out with them donuts yeah i played that stupid <laughs> thing so many hours. we all thought about buying the donuts nathan it's okay okay you just wanted to build it faster i swear i didn't i think i clicked on it once though and it, it at least gives you a few seconds before it actually charges you so i'm like oh no 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 no! i didn't mean to click that thank you for not charging me ten dollars or whatever for fake game currency it's yeah, funny but... how much people will like yell and scream about it though like cannibal was three dollars right instead oh, okay. of being like i guess some people expected it to be like a buck right and they're like it's three times as much and it's like it's still less than like a latte like right. it's still ridiculously cheap but the funny thing is that people getting mad and saying there's controversy over the price like just helps the developer ultimately mm-hmm, once the yeah. price is like utterly you know unattainable and ridiculous but if it's a reasonable price that most people will agree with and the fringe will get really mad about the fringe is like helping your game stay in people's minds because they're just constantly yelling about the price and causing like debates to start about it and it's like sweet don't stop don't stop bitching. <laughs> keep talking keep, keep saying talking. the name of it yeah, it's Towerfall. I'm so mad about Towerfall. Towerfall costumes. <laughs> Towerfall. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Brought to you by Towerfall, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I've seen developers sort of be really ashamed to price their games above a certain amount. And that makes me sad because it's like, no, it's it's worth it. And like, your audience is so small that you need to charge a reasonable price for it because otherwise... Mm-hmm. 
it's also just it changes people the way people approach the game. They're going to approach it more seriously if it's priced seriously. If the game is actually worth fifteen dollars or whatever it is, then people value it more. Then the, mm. the catch is it actually has to be worth fifteen dollars. It can't just be you know mm. whatever crap you made and you slap a high price on it. Like definitely not advocating that, but but yeah. And it's weird how different markets are different too, right? Like anything on mobile is going to have to be cheaper somehow, right? Even if it's the same Enix. game. Well, Square right. keeps trying to aim high with that stuff, yeah. Yeah, I wonder how well that works for them. Ten, fifteen, twenty. Yeah. All the stuff you can get on the Ouya emulator now for free. <laughs> Played yeah. on my iPhone for twenty dollars. Oh yeah. 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 That's yeah, that stuff's kind of weird. Yeah. I just I wish I the know. ports were better, like. I feel like Square farms those ports out to like a third party and they they all feel kind of clunky. Like I remember looking at the Chrono Trigger iPhone port, like the screenshots and the UI just threw me off. It's so gross, yeah. Yeah, it's like but like it's so easy to make a good UI. Like we make UI stuff for games all the time and it, we I was talking to Matt just about how much we love making menus. Mm-hmm. Like the Towerfall menus are pretty amazing for that. They like tween everywhere. Everything's animated. Like every single element like flies in, flies out, and like it's fun to work on that stuff. So I don't know why SquareSoft or sorry Square Enix, still living in the nineties, yeah, um, <laughs> back in the glory days. I don't know why they can't hire someone like that to just make it. Like why can't they hire like an Uber fan? Like, why There's is there people no one like excited about UI anywhere in their yeah yeah like why can't they they've got so much money kicking around. I think they could find something. Yeah. It's just sort of, uh, they just don't yeah. care, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It's too bad. I'm looking at a picture of the UI right now and it's disgusting. What's wrong with it? Like what in one sentence, I guess it just reminds me of like a Photoshop mockup. Yeah, the- exactly. <laughs> like oh. somebody just mocked up a screenshot with yeah. a weird, like, with, like default fonts and stuff. Like, yeah, with their own thing on top huh. of it. Yeah. It looks like a fan-made like RPG kind of, but not even okay. because a fan-made yeah. remake yeah. looked amazing. <laughs> so yeah, there know. was that 3D Chrono Trigger remake that got shut down. Yeah, it's just like I don't know when things like that happen. I'm always like, why don't the companies just hire those people and make the game and then make a bajillion dollars? Like, I feel yeah. like that's what indies tend to do. Like, there's this guy who ported Aquaria to uh, PSP Homebrew on his own. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. just for fun so like i was just like do you want to do the ipad version and he's like sure and he's made the ipad version and it was amazing <laughs> i didn't have to do it man it's like this guy's just a badass and he's like self-motivated and like so totally like please work on my game <laughs> you're making me want to jump back into aquaria you realize this oh no i I can't. I can't do it, man. I have a problem with the abyss or whatever. Like oh, the ocean gosh. stuff freaks me yeah. out. I can't do it. It is freaky. Yeah. Oh, you're I saying can't. just ocean anxiety? No, like there's one area of the game where it's like the depths oh, of the ocean where it's p- pitch black. Oh, okay. That's terrible. Like terrifying. It's just yeah. the worst. Yeah. Did you have Sunform when you got there? No. Just, oh, you need to find Sunform first. Well, I'm in the sun like temple dungeon whatever yeah Yeah. right now and like i know where to go now but like the first time i went in there it scarred me i don't know i can't do it again that's i kind of i kind of like that that happened and that's evil of me but i 
<laughs> I kind of like how that game can like scar people. Well, and it just like <laughs> I have a problem with that in general because I don't like the ocean because you just know there's a bunch of shit down there that we'll never know. Yeah. And it'll come up one day, and it'll be the worst thing. Like you can't worst. make up monsters scarier than the stuff under. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that it's was like fun researching ram in theaters now. Like I don't. Yes. What said <laughs> was <laughs> segue perfectly into that. Brought to you, yeah. Brought to you by Pacific Rim. Which everyone should go see. I think even after you buy an Ouya and Towerfall. After you buy an Ouya and Towerfall. <laughs> um, which is actually cheaper than going to see Pacific. That's true. We, we're talking about 3D Rumble. Yeah. Like if you get D box, <laughs> you buy two copies probably. Yeah. Actually, you know what? You could buy an Ouya and Towerfall if you had to take a family of four out to the theaters yes. in D box. It would be cheaper to buy the system and. Well, the if game. they get. <laughs> If you, oh, if they get snacks, forget about it. You're paying yeah. double what that costs for an Ouya. And as we said, like, infinity hours of entertainment. So Yes. <laughs> yeah. As opposed to two? Like an hour and yeah. 52 minutes? Like, that's a horrible, horrible... Nah, I do like that movie, though. People should see monsters fight. Yes. Pacific yeah. Rim is pretty great. It's not a perfect movie, but it's definitely... Yeah, if you like giant robots and you like giant monsters, you're going to love it. There's been like an Independence Day comparison going around, and that works for me. Like it has yeah. some dumb tone, but it works. And it's just yeah. like, yeah, no, that is this is the equivalent for 2013. Welcome to Earth. Welcome to Earth. It felt a bit more <laughs> self-aware than Independence Day. I think it was more yeah. like stylistically, like we know, like to me, it felt like a live-action version of an anime, and the characters were kind of like wooden as a result. Because in some anime, the characters are kind of a little bit like. You yeah. know, exaggerated and and sort of like that and yeah, a in little some anime, some anime, yeah, there is some not ninety percent of it, just yeah. some. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, okay, I I gotta go see that damn movie. No, it's yeah, no, it's it's fun. It's I think we're going again on Tuesday, but sweet. Well, yeah. up this week, whatever mystery week this is recording. <laughs> and the soundtrack is awesome. It's a dude who did yeah. the Game of Thrones soundtrack. Which... Oh, is it? Okay, I didn't recognize his name in the credits, but it was just like, that was some yeah. triumphant anthems right there. Theme, Super so. catchy, but really cool rhythmic stuff. And yeah. But different from a typical soundtrack, movie soundtrack, I think. Mm. A bit more repetitive. Almost kind of like video game music in a way, which is cool. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's like, here's the name. one Jaeger theme. We're just going to bring it back like over and over again. We're going to do different stuff with it every time, but it's just like a five-note theme. It's like, that's kind of cool. Towerfall has some stuff like that. It's a little bit inspired by Game of Thrones. And it's out now, I hear. It's out now on Ouya. (laughs) (laughs) Like, have you guys had to do like a promotional tour of any kind or something? Uh, There's a funny moment where Matt was going to go to GDC. Okay. Uh, he was taking Towerfall at GDC, and he was like, you want to come to GDC? And at the time, I was like, I don't know. This situation with an ex-girlfriend who's an indie game developer, and I was just feeling weird about it, and I didn't want to run into her at GDC. So I was like, maybe I'll just sit this one out. But the last minute, I was like, no, nah, maybe I'll go, whatever. You know, <laughs> There's so many awesome people there and stuff. Like It would be a shame not to go. Um, and then at the last minute on the day that we're going to fly, Matt realized his passport had expired. Oh man! So he had five and, years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, so I'll do my impression of Matt. Um, okay. Because uh, coming into my room and informing me that 
this game that he's been working on for months, like he can't take it to GDC. He's been waiting for this moment for for like a long time. He's been super excited to show it off. There's like this IGN press mixer coming up, and it's like huge deal, right? So he comes and he's like, "My passport expired, so I'm not going to be able to go to GDC. This sucks." <laughs> that was it. Like, that's okay. Like, I wish I had like my the, tablet plugged in for the sad music. That like he just he was so like chill about it. We'll fix it in post. I'll put some sad music over top of that part. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that sad seems to be the sound. No, it was just it was he was <laughs> totally chill Aww. about it. He I was like, happen. Oh, it sucks. It was like I'd probably be like, Oh fuck, like god damn it, like yeah. oh like, yeah, he's like yeah, yeah, it's kinda of, it's kinda of like the worst thing. <laughs> like, it's kind of like the worst, but but eh. so I had to like show off the game, mm. um, at this press mixer and stuff, which was fun. Like I thought it was going to be annoying because I usually hate showing off my own games, but this wasn't so much my own game. Like all I did was music on it and just help, you know talk to man about stuff. So like it was easier to like talk about it for some reason for that. I don't know why that makes a difference, but it's just like, this game's awesome. Here's why it's awesome. It's like, I can do that with other people's games. I find it hard to do with my own games because I feel like a dick. I think you missed a calling in PR. <laughs> yeah. Possibly. And which game was that again? Uh, Towerfall. It's available for $15, which is cheaper than going to see Pacific Rim, which you should also go see. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Also, um, go buy The Real Texas because it's really cool. <laughs> I didn't see that coming at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's get off of Towerfall for a second and talk more about stuff you've done. (laughs) Like, well, like, you know, yeah, we've talked a little bit about Aquaria. Okay. I'm interested in Marion. Oh, Marion. Mm hmm. Boy. (laughs) Uh oh. Okay. What? Uh, what do you want to (laughs) know? How's it coming along? I haven't worked on it in maybe like a year or more. Okay. Um, And I actually, when I was visiting Vancouver in August, I did a talk about it at Full Indie. Uh, The talk was called I Am a Failure and You Can (laughs) Too. Oh my god, okay. Uh, And I I have a video of it, I haven't decided if I want to release it or not. Okay. But, yeah, it was basically about working on Marion and how it never got done. And yet I was working super hard on it for like two years. And what, what was happening with it was like, I kept restarting it from absolute scratch. Like I would just throw everything out. Um, I would get fed up with it and throw it out and start over. So like there's at least, I think I counted at least nine major prototypes, like nine sort of restart points. Oh, wow. Like can kind of be like describe, they can kind of be simplified down to like maybe like three or four. But within that, there are like these other variations. But it was kind of like, okay, so it's like this 2.5D platformer, and then it's like, no, now it's like 2D, and like there was that was a dividing point between some of the prototypes. Um, but even within those, there was other things like gameplay wise, like okay, like the game is about these themes, and it's about this gameplay, and I'm gonna try doing those things, and then realizing like those things don't mesh at all. <laughs> mm. So it was like game with like dark themes about how people interact and stuff like that. And then um ideas of like manipulation. So you have like a character who's a marionette and you have a character who's just this really large humanoid figure who can like grab her strings and move her around and stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And then there's the player who also moves her around. So I thought there's this interesting visual thematic idea of, you know, how stories and games have characters, but the player's kind of like yanking on the strings of the character, trying to make them do different things. And there might be conflict between like the story and the gameplay, but you could actually comment on that using this metaphor of a marionette, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I just ran into the actual problem of story versus gameplay, like uh, not really like, story per se, but like thematic stuff versus gameplay. Like what was the story you wanted to tell wasn't clear, or was it um, like no, it, it, like the it was the story was thematically clear, but the problem was making the gameplay like convey that because okay. the gameplay I wanted to do was all physics stuff, and physics stuff is just always silly. Like it's all, it always looks silly. It mm-hmm. doesn't look brooding and serious. It looks really silly. So like that was frustrating. Cause it's like, okay, I want this, you know, I had this intro where you start off controlling Marion and she's just a lifeless marionette. And slowly she comes to life in different parts of her body become activated. It's like, Oh, her arm is alive now and her arm can move around. Her legs are alive and she can stand up and start walking, but her back isn't like, uh, hasn't, uh, become under control yet so it's just flopping around and like i had that prototype it was so hard to prototype that it was like a blend of like animation stuff but then like ragdoll stuff so like half of the character would be ragdolling while like her legs were being animated and stuff and mm-hmm. it looked really creepy and cool like some of the time and then it looked absolutely silly some of the other time right mm-hmm. so it's like trying to Get, trying to control that is nuts. Like, and it was all, already so much work just to get to that point. Like to get all those animations made, we had to like shoot reference with like I think my girlfriend at the time, my sister, I, like have them act stuff out for me and shoot it so the animator could like almost like rotoscope it hmm. in 3D and then like put that in the game and then like get all the scripts hooked up to it. it was they were all really complicated and messy because there's so much stuff going on in this intro and that's just an intro like it's not even like core gameplay it's just it takes like 10 minutes to play through or five minutes to play through (laughs) it's like that's like three months of work or something just for this intro um so i think at some point it was like this isn't worth it like and then i'd I'd go and focus on others i wouldn't be exclusively working on intros it would be like okay i'm working on core gameplay and doing this and that but it was really hard to find out like what in the core gameplay would resonate with the themes super well. Mm -hmm. The idea was always like, okay, she's got these strings, and at some point she breaks her strings and she escapes from this character who's keeping her prisoner, and then she starts using her strings to, like, do stuff so she can throw them and attach them to stuff and swing around and, like, pick things up, and maybe she can attach other things to the end of the string, like scissors and cut things and uh, fighting these toy soldier enemies where she can reach around and pull the the key that's powering them out of their back and they fall down powerless. And I prototype mm-hmm. like so much stuff, but it never really felt like it was gelling. Like it never really felt like, Oh yeah, this is working. It's flowing. It just, yeah. And I had different versions I made with different developers too. Like I worked with Kyle Pulver for a while. Uh-huh. Uh, he was doing level design. And so it's a version of the game that it's like an hour long play to play through. But it feels very Kyle Pulvery. It's just like you beat this level, and then you beat this level, and then you beat this level. 
Okay. And I really wanted it to feel like a whole world, kind of like Aquaria, where you would go right up, left, down, back, you know, backtrack, go here, go there. And this mm-hmm. was just, no, you go left to right, you go through the level, you solve the little puzzle, and you go on and you deal with this a lot. Doing that thing where it feels kind of subconscious, you're just playing, you're not really thinking to yourself, you're just like doing stuff. And, and that's a cool experience for some games, but that's not the experience I wanted for Marion. I wanted it to be more like, Oh, what area am I in? Like what's, this looks cool. What, how do I really want to get up there, but I don't know how I'm mm. going to like explore a bit and see if there's a way to get up there. And so I did another version with Matt Thorson. Uh, he was helping me with level design and that was a bit better. That was a 2d one. Um, and the game started to be a lot more about flying, oddly enough, or flinging yourself and sort of floating down. So, like, you'd be swinging around using your string and, and jumping all over the place. So it was a lot more platformy, I think, because Matt was involved. Mm-hmm. And um, it started to become a bit more nonlinear, too. There was, like, we were working on this hub area that was just really fun to, like, jump and swing around and grab things and do stuff like that. And but then when we started working on each of the different areas, it became linear again. And it kind of felt a bit like Rayman Origins, where it was like, we're starting to get some pretty 2D art going, but it was just kind of like, yeah, just go through this level. And there's things, you know, like mechanics keep popping up. And it's fun to play through, but it, it just didn't feel, it didn't have that like Aquaria type thing where it's like, this is like connected to this and I want to go here so I can get there. And huh. so strange. I, I was just playing Rayman Origins yesterday. But, yeah, like and like liking okay. parts of it, but it's it's very yeah, like it's very straight. Just go go to the right, yeah. just do the thing, slide yeah. around, collect the stuff. Like there's not yeah. a lot of wider worlds stuff in there. Like yeah, the snore tree is kind of fun, but I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> there is there definitely is stuff like it's definitely like not just a straightforward platformer. Yeah, but it's it not doesn't have to, yeah. Like I wanted there to be this sense that you'd sort of lived in this world for a while. Mm-hmm. Like I, I had stuff where you could just go sit on chairs, and it like didn't do anything. In the 3D version, it would like change the camera angle, and you just like sit in this chair and chill out. And I was like, I wanted to put more stuff like that. It was just like, oh, you just go. And that was kind of another weird mix where it was like that's kind of adventure game stuff, or almost kind of like I don't want to say innovative, but like just anti-game stuff. It's not like gameplay motivated. It's just no, oh, just go chill out and check out this thing more of an experience Mm -hmm. type thing Mm -hmm. but then mixing that with like the stuff that kyle and matt would come up with which was more like like pure game mechanics like here is the game mechanic here's how you use it now we're going to use it and juice it and now you're done and now we bring in this other mechanic and mix it with that mechanic and that stuff works it's fun Mm -hmm. it's just not it just doesn't give me the right vibe you know and i couldn't really figure out like okay am i going to make it more of an adventure game? Am I going to make it more like a straightforward platformer? And it kind of needed to be like all those things. So I'm trying to think of games that have that like very, like a truly dark, somber tone. And like, I don't know, like you could yeah. easily subvert almost any game into a comedy if you play. Yes. It, right. Yes. So yeah. I don't know. Like, do you have any points of like reference for you that you're like, Oh, this game really got dark and moody. Probably yeah, like, you know, like, I'm thinking of stuff that tries to do that sort of, but like Max Payne is kind of silly in its way. Like it's yeah, 
dramatic. Like, uh, I just played Alan Wake. It's kind of over dramatic, but it, yeah. it kind of camps it up on purpose. Limbo. Yeah, like, limbo. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, like there, like I think that's the thing, right? Like, because a lot of games overdo it, and I really wanted it to be more subtle because right. that's the kind of experience I want in a game. I want this kind of moody world. Like, it feels like you're walking out on a cloudy day, and it's it feels kind of cold out, and maybe it's autumn or something like that's the kind of feeling I was going for. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been moments in games that have got that for me, but they're really like random. Like, there's the shitty Super Nintendo Lord of the Rings game. Just okay. there's this, when you leave Hobbiton, there's this like uh, really gray field with this certain type of music, and mm. just the combination of the way it looks and the music to me is like that's something that I'd want to do. But the game is crap. Like it's not. <laughs> I would never recommend that game to anyone. But it's just sort right. of like oh, there's there's a little spark of that thing that I like, and then there'll be somewhere else in some other game like Silicon Knights games, like the original Blood Omen and. Eternal Darkness had some moments that did that, but mm-hmm. those were also really clunky and and ham fisted a lot of the time. And right. I didn't like the ham fistedness of it. It was just like, oh yeah, okay, like overlook that. But you know, so I really wanted to do stuff where it was more like, no, this is more subtle, and you know, but that's hard to do too when you're doing like platform platformy stuff. Like it's not subtle and like when you're trying to convey gameplay to players, it's not subtle, right? It's mm-hmm. like, you, you, I, I like to try to obscure the gameplay systems because I don't want to understand the gameplay system when I'm playing. I want to just imagine that it's a real world that I'm visiting. Right, But right. that's opposite to how Matt and Kyle design games. They're like, okay, we're conveying, you need to know where the hitbox is. You need to know where oh, the okay. stuff, you need to understand kind of what's going on mechanically so you can like start to play with it and and uh, not be confused but i kind of like when it's like i don't know exactly if i'm doing this or not and there's a bit of like you're kind of wondering and you're making stuff up in your head you're like like maybe it's this or maybe it's that and maybe for some of the things in your game you're never quite sure what it is sounds maybe Um, like just like a creative differences type yeah thing like the definition of gameplay or whatever like just with some of the stuff you're saying like i'm kind of thinking of like there's a game that people have been talking up lately like starseed pilgrim where you just figure oh, it yeah. out kind of yeah and i have yet to figure it out but i'm still kind of curious yeah, i suck at that game but yeah uh, i don't know what yeah, i'm doing i'm just game. planting stuff and climbing around but i'm like eventually i got a key and i was like all right i got a key now i can go back and go here so maybe, all right that does something and then like you're just supposed to kind of figure or like it's super stripped down but we, like we brought yeah. up at e, like proteus is kind of just like a mood piece right like you just yeah totally so i wanted something that was not like like kind of like those but different where like because the thing that i wouldn't like it the thing i don't like about starseed Pro- pilgrim is it just doesn't to me it doesn't feel like anything it's mm-hmm. just a bunch of mechanics and they're kind of obscure like abstract and, but it doesn't feel yeah it doesn't feel like it's mechanics used to convey a particular mood necessarily now i don't know because i haven't played enough of it yet so i could be talking out of my ass like i just right. played it for Maybe five minutes so like a moment there yeah there like, could be really cool weird moments thing. and stuff yeah but it just to me looking at it it's like oh there's a bunch of blocks the blocks do things that to me seems like typical game stuff even if it is obscure and mm-hmm. then proteus is kind of like as far as i understand there's no gameplay from a traditional standpoint, like it's, you wander around and things happen. The ability to walk 
and you walk close to some things and stuff will happen and whatever. But yeah, yeah. and I I would love to play something that's like Proteus, but you just interact with the world more. Like you can like do stuff and change things and and accomplish things, but you maybe don't know what the goals are at first. And and so that's that's sort of the thing I've been chasing. Mm-hmm. Like that's for me personally, that's what I I really really want to get at it eventually. And I think what I realized with Marion is I just don't know how to do that yet. Like eventually oh. I was kind of I don't know how to actually get to where I want to go with this project yet. Okay. So I just don't think I understand game design well enough. Mm. And that's kind of what I the conclusion I came to after like however long it was two years of working on it and working with lots of different people and trying lots of different versions of the team and versions of the game. It was kind of like yeah, I was like I gotta just do something else for a while. So I did okay. a bunch of like smaller things, and those those are really great because they were like Planet Punch with Matt was just like let's do whatever the fuck we feel like doing, uh-huh. and we'll make a good game, but let's just like creatively let's just go nuts, like because we had actually both been working on games that were like where we thought of the theme first and not the gameplay first. Mm. He was working on this game called Quantum Zoe, and I was working on Marion, and they both sucked kind of like they both just didn't really like get there they had they both had cool visual audio stuff going on and some cool ideas but they never really clicked um so it was it was we're kind of like cleaning our palette and i think we're just like we're gonna make this game about punching stuff in the face (laughs) after this (laughs) working on these games with these like lofty ambitions it's like no you're you're this you're like a sun that's about to blow up and you steal earth from our sun and you whack things in the face with earth okay makes sense the next planet you get is Uranus, because that's the most hilarious one. Of course. It's a planet. Yeah, that's, yeah. Everybody knows that. Yeah, so it's just this really stupid game, and it was just really fun to work on. Because part of the problem of working on something that's so thematically restricted is it's just you just feel trapped. You're like, I really want to just write like a, this goofy song, but I can't, because it just doesn't fit in this game. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a shitty way to make things, like... I wonder if like I'd been just more open to Mary and changing into something totally different if I would have gotten to the point where it was finished, if it'd just been like, well, maybe it's a goofy game. Right. What would that like? And I had a really hard time like wanting like feeling motivated to work on it if it was gonna be a goofy game. I'm, like I didn't set out to make like I don't mind if it's funny and silly at times, but, right. but overall like I wanted yeah, I wanted this certain feel to it, right? And it's like, yeah. no, now no, you just like this goofy thing you flop around, and it's like, no, that's not. So, yeah, I don't know. It's always kind of hard because I have like this folder full of videos from prototypes. Yeah. Because every time I prototype a new feature, I make a little quick video of it and show it to the people I was working with. So there's just tons of stuff, so much work in that game, like. There's a there's a prototype trailer as well that we made. We showed it to Microsoft and a few other people, and they were interested in it and stuff. And that's hard to watch, to like to go back and watch that and just see like yeah, look at all this stuff that we were doing, you know. And now, now it's gone. And it's when you look back on it, you see it seems better than it was in a way because I think at the time it's hard to see the the positive qualities of it because you're so focused on fixing all the things that don't work about it. Yeah. But going back, it's like, oh man, there's so much stuff in there that I just really love that is not present in things that I'm working on now. And that's kind mm-hmm. of like the kind of thing that makes me feel sad when I look back and I'm like, yeah, like I, eventually I need to 
do something like that again. Um, maybe not Marion, but something that has that kind of feel to it, whatever that is. Okay. So, well, just, for what it's yeah, worth, like, I like everything I've seen of it, even though it was everything's so <laughs> different. So, you were on the yeah. right track at some points. I think I would like to see it finish one day, but I mean, not to yeah. If it's a, I want to guilt tripping or anything. No, I do because I, I, I want to. Uh, no, that's cool. <laughs> okay. I, th- I think it would be. I, I think it would be a personal, kind of a cool personal challenge. I could give myself at some point mm-hmm. to be like, okay, now I, but it has to, I have to actually be like, what I've realized is for me, it's better if I'm finding people I like working with rather than thinking about projects I want to do. Yeah. It's right, just like, okay. Oh, I like working with this person. Let's make a game together. Let's not say it has to be this or that. Let's just make stuff. And then mm-hmm. whatever happens to work, we go with that's mm-hmm. like a way. So eventually it may way. work out. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah, it's a way smarter way to do it, but like it doesn't lend itself to things like that, you know? Like it like cuz the way I was trying to make Marion, I think was kind of backwards from that. It's like mm. trying to find people who can help me make this specific thing instead of like, oh, I happen to find this person, we happen to get along really well and work well together. Let's just make something. I don't care what it okay. is <laughs> as long as it's something we both like, right? Yeah. That that just seems to work way better. So that's what I've been rolling with right now. And it's been really fun and positive and happy. And so like all the things I'm, all the people I'm collaborating with, it's just like, this is fun. I'm enjoying it. It's great. And the only downside to it is just, I'm missing that specific, you know, feel that Marion had. Cause just none of these projects happen to have that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I can't I really was- complain. Yeah. It was just like listening to Infinite Ammo kind of in the order I became familiar with those developers. Like I kind of totally lost track of the timeline of that. So like oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't know the current s- status. Like it was just, I'd hear you talking about it like yeah. on, on my iPod. As if it was like it was an active like, project. Oh, yeah. this must have just happened. Like you just lose sense of it was like, oh, this was years ago, dude. What are you? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But hmm. yeah, it's weird how that works like that. Um Temporal. Yeah, maybe maybe someday it'll come back somehow if I can think of a way to do it. Mm-hmm. It's always hard because you when you've talked about stuff publicly, it feels like there's there's not like a ton of people probably who know about it, but there's at least some who know about it and have expectations for it. Mm-hmm. So like one of the one of the moments right before I quit working on it, uh, quote unquote for good, was I had the version that Matt and I was working at at GDC. And one of my friends, Evan Balster, was checking it out. He was just sort of, I didn't tell him what it was. I was just playing around with it. And he was like, is that, is that Marion? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, is that the full version of Marion? And it, my heart just sank. Because mm. yeah. it just, he just like, he didn't think it, it was living up to what he had imagined. It was just like, it looked like a, because I had it on iPad at that point, too. I was like, I'm going to work on it on iPad and see where that leads. And I think he thought it was kind of like this cheapo iPad physics game. Wow. And I'm like, that's not what I was going for at all. And so I was just super discouraged by that. Uh, it, it sounds like so a rough, though. Like to, yeah, yeah. Like it sounds like you kind of start with, like, I want to produce this emotion in people or I want to get this reaction. And then, like, how yeah. that? Like, you have to work backwards from, like, this weird yeah. hypothetical... Like, well, it's. I think it's wrong to go for a specific 
to want people to experience a specific emotion. Like I think that to me, I think that's a wrong thing to be motivated by. Right. Um, I kind of realized that I remember talking to Edmund about that on my podcast, like the, whatever episode that was, it was pretty early on, but I remember Edmund being like, yeah, like upset or something. Yeah, yeah. He like didn't get the specific thing. And I was like, that's fine. People take whatever they want out of it. I'm, I'm cool with that. It just more, just, it needs to feel right to me. And mm-hmm. then, and then if I release it and people think, you know, Oh, this is stupid. Then okay, whatever. But <laughs> if I know that I did it right for, for what I was going for, then I know there's going to be some other people where that resonates. Cause that happened with Aquaria in really weird ways. Like I remember there's this girl who started like a, f- a fan page for me on Facebook, just around the music for Aquaria. Mm-hmm. And I asked her like, Oh, like, what do you, you know, what do you like about the music and stuff? And she's like, I don't know. Like sometimes when I listen to it, it just like makes me cry out of nowhere kind of because it's sad. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I was pretty depressed when I was making that game. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that that carries over, I think I tell this story a lot on my own podcast. So I feel bad repeating it, but it, it is that kind of weird thing of just like, yeah, I think if you do put the way that you feel into a thing, it can come out the other end and affect people and who, who see things kind of similarly. Hmm. So that's, that's, the main reason for me to like be motivated to do something like this is just like, yeah, I, I feel this way sometimes about things and I want to share that with people in this really intimate way where they're playing a single player game and they invest all this time and they, they come away with this experience. And so that's, that's something I miss about the projects I'm working on now because they're more like, they're more fun. Yeah. Like uh, I was on Towerfall music. Like that's a fun game. Everyone loves it. That's awesome. Everyone likes the music, and Crypt of the Necro Dancer is another game I'm doing music for. It's a uh, rhythm roguelike, so it's kind of like hmm. DDR, DDR mashed up with roguelikes. So like, there's a song hmm. playing, you have to move on the beat, but then you're trying to kill monsters and stuff. Um, and that's been great to work on, and it's super fun. I'm collaborating with Danny B on the music, and the music's really silly and like dance, like weird sort of Castlevania dance music and stuff. Huh. And uh, there's, there's some good tunes in those Castlevania games, so I got yeah. really good, yeah, yeah. And um, working on a prototype with Adam Saltzman that's also really fun, and that's where I actually get to code, <laughs> <laughs> which is good. And then I'm working on this Infinite Legend prototype that's like a kind of like Mario Sunshine, but you have a sword. Hmm. So I can actually Sunshine. Yeah, just the moveset from Sunshine, kind of like where you can dash and like jump out of a dash, and kind of the way the wall jumping works and stuff like that. Okay. We also want to put the the sort of side backflip move and stuff, and just just because the platforming in that game felt really great. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of people seem to not enjoy that one, but it had merits. Uh, Everyone I talk to loves it, but I think I'm talking to the people who. They're kind of like developers, and they're like, "Man, that game! Like nobody likes that game, but I love it." And I'm like, "Hey, I like that game too." Like, right? <laughs> everyone kind they of went some weird, bold directions for that series, and then they kind of went back to that. Ah, it's just he's this quiet guy that jumps around, and yeah, I don't know. It just, it just, it's a really joyful game to play for some reason. Mm-hmm. It just feels amazing, like just the the move set and how you can chain all the different moves together. Do like the thing where you shoot water in front, you slide on the water as you go faster and you jump flip out of it and like yeah, hit a wall and jump off it. And the cool thing about this game is it's like merging combat with that. Mm. So like 
doing like a slam attack from a higher height does more damage and affects a larger radius. So you can like wall jump up and then like slam on an enemy, you know, or jump off an enemy's head to stun him while you stab another enemy and stuff like that. But you have a lot of control over your height, kind of? Like- yeah, the control is just really tight. And um, hmm. so the cool thing about that is like, because Matt and I were talking about like action RPGs like Zelda and and also how much we love like Mario games. And we're like, why can't you make the combat just really fun, like how a Mario game is fun? Like, it shouldn't have to be walking around and just whacking stuff. Um, so that's kind of, I guess, the direction that that project is going in. It's like really fun combat <laughs> mm. and really fun platforming stuff. Um, but that one's probably a ways off because there's just a ton of work that has to be done on it, and I've been super busy and other stuff. But yeah, it's been... I finally sort of figured out how to do 3D platformer stuff in Unity property or properly in a way that actually feels like like Mario. Okay. So that was, that was really satisfying to eventually code. Like, like All the Marion platformer stuff never felt right. I was trying to integrate it with physics, and I was trying to use Unity stuff, and kind of what I did was just do my own thing for this prototype instead, using more of my own kind of collision system, and it's way better. I can control stuff way more. So that's been satisfying. For a while there, you like I've I've only heard this, but like, were you doing kind of Unity tutorials for people, trying to help people figure that out? Yeah. Okay. And you yeah. mentioned the game maker community earlier. Like, I I don't know, like. There's been like a lot of encouragement seems to be coming from you to like get people to do that stuff, right? To get into game development themselves. Yeah, I was big on that for a while. Um, especially when I was involved in the scene in Winnipeg, I wanted to mm-hmm. try and start up some education stuff too. I was looking at doing that, and yeah, I was. Oh, I just burped on this podcast. It's awesome. That's the quality um, we strive for. So thank you. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, like I, I did one Unity tutorial. I think it has like two hundred thousand views now. Like I, people came up to me at GDC and they're like, "Oh, I, they knew me because of the Unity tutorial, but nothing else." They're just, okay, you're that Unity tutorial guy. I'm like, yeah, I am okay, like cool. Um, but I haven't done anything since then, so I don't know. I was thinking of, we have a Twitch TV channel for Indie House Vancouver, and okay. Matt streams his level des- level design stuff and i stream my music writing stuff yep. and chevy streams like his stuff so like i was thinking of maybe just doing a tutorial that's more hands-on like just go mm-hmm. on twitch tv and open up unity and just show people what i'm working on and how i made it and stuff um so yeah i think i'm gonna do that sometime and see if people are into that because my tutorials are way out of date like they're all in javascript and i use c sharp now and stuff so oh, okay Everything is C sharp. Indie House is exclusively C sharp. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's exciting to to help people out with that. Okay, I guess I'm just trying to like I don't know like I'm just kind of sitting here with Game Maker and like a notebook full of ideas and nothing's happening and like I don't know like at some point you just have to s- stop playing games or something to like make room or do you um, still play a lot of stuff or. I hardly play anything, which is kind of bad. Like, I should be playing more. Mm. But I've just been working most of the time. Um, okay. Or sometimes I'll play other people's prototypes. But I haven't really, like... Other than Hotline Miami, I haven't sat down and played through anything for a long time. So Okay. Um, but I don't think you have to do that. 
Um, I think that's, I think it's a better idea to keep playing games and like budget inspired. time accordingly somehow. But or? yeah, I think for us, like we're just motivated to make games. So that's just what we do with our time. Like we just, we wake up and we're excited. We want to get to work, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so not everyone's like that or sometimes people are nervous about starting. I think like, I know I have that experience sometimes where I'm like, oh, I need to write this song, but I'm just not even starting it. Cause I'm just worried about like, Oh, it's probably not going to sound very good. Or I don't know how to like negative feedback is intimidating. Or... Yeah. There's sometimes there's that like, Oh, I don't know if people are going to like this. And eventually you get back to the point of like, no, I just want to make some stuff. <laughs> we'll see what happens, you know? So, right the longer you can stay in that state of just sort of like the curiosity thing, I guess we're just like, I want to try this and see how it goes. Um, and then put it out there and see, you know, yeah, or, hey. or don't <laughs> like, okay. If, <laughs> if, if, uh, depending on, ideas. depending on what, you know, it is. Um, yeah. I mean like your first, the first thing you're ma- you make is going to be shit. And then the second okay. thing you make is going to be shit. And the, you know, like it's going <laughs> to, it's going to take a long time to actually make something that people are going to like, but it's true. that's totally fine. That's the, that's the hurdle you have to get over. And the disadvantage of starting as an adult is you don't have that childlike innocence thing where you can just make stuff and not worry about what people think. Right. Cause, right. and I miss that about being a kid. Like when I was a kid, I just make stuff and give a crap about whether anyone liked it. Um, so part of, Part of Indie House, too, I think, is to try and get back into that state where it's just fun to try things. Just like, I'm going to try making this. And everyone's like, sweet, do it. You know, versus like, oh, I don't know if like that's a great idea. Like, I'm not sure if, you know, that's going to be really commercially viable. It's like, no, it doesn't matter. It's just, it's just try, like, it's good to just try stuff. Um, the commercial, commercial stuff matters when it gets to that point. You know, like when it gets further along and it's like, okay, now I need to actually worry about what people think about this. But I think when you're just starting out and you're just experimenting, you need to give yourself that freedom to just try whatever. Um, yeah, because a lot of people, when they start, they're like, I'm not a game developer. I could never make games. And they kind of just talk themselves out of even learning it because the only thing stopping them from getting to that point is themselves. You know, they're just, they're sitting there being like, I can't do it. It's like, well, it's because you're just saying I can't do it. Like, <laughs> yeah, the only way to figure out how to do it is to try and fail like a lot <laughs> and then eventually figure out, you know, which things work and which things don't. Um, That's our life motto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> try and figure stuff out. And lost the the first 20 episodes of the pod, the main podcast we do fucking terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah no i know they're so bad <laughs> we keep them up there for lessons learned actually i didn't keep them up there it was oh. um some of our community gave me the files back because i had deleted them oh yeah that'll happen yeah so they archived <laughs> them and then i put them back up mm. that's yeah. cool that they did that that means that they were worth listening to i think they were so dumb they were so <laughs> bad oh my god well, you know, you're your own harshest critics. I haven't listened to them. I don't. Yeah. I won't go back. Yeah, don't go back. We talked a lot about Nazis. Oh, wow. Oh, no, that's because Lars von Trier said that thing. No, I know. Oh, and I we were going to do that. the Holocaust. That was also. Well, we were going to compare movies on Schindler's that List and uh, the, pianist. the Pianist. Yeah, yeah Roman Polanski. That's, that's an important 
topic. I don't know. There was like five <laughs> episodes in a row where we talked about doing it too. <laughs> we never did. All right. So Holocaust coming up another soon. One. No, don't no, this do is that. Be, this is it. It's the return. Oh, it's the no. return of the Holocaust. Well, this so is the Alec Holocaust, so it works out. Oh, there okay. you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and Towerfall is out now. See oh, Towerfall is out. I don't know back. if you guys knew about yep. it. But, yeah. Call Steam. back. Yep. <laughs> like, yeah. Anyways, I think we yeah. should, I wanted to talk a little bit about Infinite Ammo, like sure. the podcast specifically, because if it, I mean, not necessarily if it wasn't just for you. However, you were a huge stepping stone into us being like, hey, we could kind of probably do this. Like talk That's to people where interested in what they do and stuff so i'd like to thank you first of all because oh, thanks that's cool without that little stepping stone we wouldn't be doing this right now with you for one thing mm-hmm. um but some of the names or like the people you've got to come on to your show like are they all just kind of friends of yours because there's some bigger indie names on there that well maybe they blew up after i guess specifically um, and i'm talking about because no i was friends with edmund from before yeah. Sort of like from, I guess, Aquaria coming out. Kind of knew him through Derek a bit. And I think I also talked to him on my own a little bit. Mm-hmm. We kind of knew, we knew of each other. Sure. Um, we're not super close, but there's definitely some kind of mutual respect thing going on. Um, and he was like, I think on the podcast, I talked about how he was one of my heroes back in the day because he was like one of the only indie guys who I knew of who was successful, you know, because of Gish. Yeah, and he proposed to his wife, you know, at the IGF awards, and I thought that was cool and cute and stuff. So, yeah, um, yeah. There's Adam we, Saltzman is your first episode. Oh, I'm a yeah, big fan with or big fan, big friend of it. <laughs> I'm a big, <laughs> I'm fan. a fan too. But uh, no, like yeah, we're we're pretty close. We uh, we met some GDC because like my second GDC. It's like the year after Aquaria came out or something, and like we just met through the Tick Source forums. Mm-hmm. I think this is before he was like a big deal, mm-hmm. and it was me and my girlfriend at the time and Adam like splitting a hotel together because it was just like a thing on Tick Source forums. Like, who wants to split a hotel? And he's just like the loveliest person. So just from there, kind of it, yeah, we just talked a lot and. I've been over to his house. There's a thing where a bunch of indies flew down to his house in Austin, and we all stayed over together, like a giant sleepover for for Austin GDC or something like that, and hung out. And Phil Fish was there, and uh, Steve Swank, and Matthew Wagner, and a, a bunch of other people. Yeah, so that's kind of the cool thing about that podcast, I guess, is that it's usually people I know, but there have been some people who just like, like Chris Van Eperen, I didn't know him at all. And he just like contacted me because he listened to the podcast and wanted to be on it. And I was like, sure. Like, why not? <laughs> yeah. And he's like a really cool guy, uh, lives in Vancouver and we had a really good conversation and stuff. So, um, it's also been a way to meet people. <laughs> sure. Just yeah. cool. But yeah. yeah, usually it's people I'm friends with because then I know, um, a lot about them and I can kind of draw out the interesting topics. Sure. Um, and I'm usually really excited and, and, happy to tell people about them or, or have them tell their story to other people, things like that. So very next good. person I want to have on is Kimberly Vole. She organizes game jams in Winnipeg or Winnipeg, Vancouver. Okay. And, um, she just did one called I am a gamer. That was about strong female game characters. Um, 
Oh, it was a really weird jam. Yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a funky jam. But um, she also teaches game design stuff here and and does like a million other things and works on her own games and so she's kind of a really unique cool person and interesting personality and interesting backstory so i've been trying to get her (laughs) i'm trying to find like three hours where we can sit down and do like an epic podcast but she's just super busy so yeah that's understandable she's also now uh in a relationship with andy moore who was on my podcast, which is kind of funny. So that's like some, some podcast romance going on. Maybe we can talk about that too. You are the love line for indies in Vancouver. Yes. Yes. I'm uh, <laughs> there you go. The matchmaker. Matchmaker. Yes. Infinite ammo.ca for all your matchmaking. Yes. I should run a dating service on my website for might as well. Us. I mean, why not? Right. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. That would be so. Yeah. InfiniteAmmo.ca, spelled exactly how it sounds, is your website. People can go there. That's where your podcast is hosted with the RSS feed and all that good stuff. Where can people reach you if they wanted to ask you questions or talk to you or any Probably of that good stuff? Probably the best place to get like recent updates and actually get my attention is on Twitter. So that's twitter.com slash infinite underscore ammo. There's an underscore in there for my Twitter handle. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um but yeah, Twitter is where everything happens for me, pretty much. Very cool. I think that's all we're going to have for today. So okay. as always, yes. thanks for listening. Thank you, Alec, for hanging out. It's been a good time. Yeah, good times, man. And we'll talk good to you guys chat. next time. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>